so every couple shows people would shout out weird things so like i'm i'm leading up like the whole thing is a build up to me dropping the m-bomb mm -hmm. and so like a couple times in the audience you can hear people when i'm like when i'm about to say it they're like no don't don't no <laughs> and then sometimes when i do first say the n-word one one show someone was like boo <laughs> like yeah uh what else uh there's one show where there's someone that was very kind that was very into it and a couple times throughout the show very loudly where everyone could hear he would just shout that is good and once he like shouted over one of the bigger laugh lines in the show so i'm like it was very kind but you you took away a, an important joke hot breath yo 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 we made it welcome back to the one the only hot I am, of course, your favorite host, and this is your favorite podcast, and we have a favorite, favorite Hot Breath episode coming straight to your ears, crystal clear, rears, that's all I could think of that rhymed. Anyway, I'm not the best improviser, but I will say today's guest is one of the best improvisers, not in Atlanta, not in Georgia, not in America. I will say today's guest, one of the world's top improvisers. I just said it right here, right to your face. His skills are finely. He's had a lot of recognition, a lot of great experience from interning at Comedy Central, which we discuss on here, to now having his one-man show, The Magic Negro, do a two-week run at the world-famous Alliance Theater right here in Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, hot brethren and sistren, I'm, of course, talking about the one, the only, Mark Kendall, ladies and gentlemen. Please bring a round of applause for Mark Kendall, one of my favorite funny people. This interview, I've been wanting to do this interview for years now, and the timing... I love doing this podcast because I've just been learning about how timing and just things coming into as they are. And this interview is one of those just natural, someone I had reached out to a couple years ago, like, hey man, I have a podcast, I'd love to get you on there. And then it just kind of evolves into now him performing his own show at Alliance Theater, which I wanted to interview him about this show back when he was starting it. And now I'm getting to see it at this point, and it's only going to grow from here. So this interview is really a lovely time capsule, not only to Mark Kendall, but also just comedy in general. Because as you know, I am a comedy fan, a comedy nerd, a comedy teacher, all the above. I just love it all. If you want to see my comedy live, you can catch me at Java Monkey Indicator every single Wednesday. 8.30 p.m., free show, now you know. As I'm sure a lot of you listening are in the improv world or just fans of Atlanta comedy in general, so come on down. We're there every Wednesday. If you want to up your comedy game, I teach a class, but we actually just started our new session just this past week. But if you want to dive in, you know, in your own way, I wrote a book with Dr. Robert Joseph. It's called Finding Your Funny, The Comics Playbook. You can go to comicsplaybook.com, pick you up a copy. It's all perfect for breaking writer's block, getting organized, reviewing your sets. It really is just, it's a one-stop shop. I really 
worked with Dr. Robert on making this a comprehensive, really digestible resource for comics to really become more efficient creators. So I'm super proud of this. You can go to comicsplaybook.com or joelbyerscomedy.com. Link up, get you a book. The cover's dope. It was made by Comedy Artwork, who has, of course, made my podcast logo, my class logo, my website logo, and now my book logo. If you want any dope logos done, any illustrations done, I know a few of you out there have actually reached out to him, told you to give you the hot breath special. He hooked you up with a dope deal. He loves the podcast. He loves helping out comedy and comedy fans, so hit him up, comedyartwork.com, or at Comedy Artwork on social media. And we made it. Oh, this is so exciting. We are in the 80s now. I hope you enjoyed my interview last week with my grandparents who are in their 80s celebrating over 60 years of marriage. That interview's been getting some great feedback and inspiring me to maybe reach outside of the comedy world a little bit more. Maybe do some more interviews with people that aren't necessarily comedians but are wealth of information. So... You guys really enjoyed hearing the secrets to having a 60-year marriage. I know they're certainly very applicable to my three-week marriage. We're almost to 60 years, bae. We're almost there. But hey, what do you say we get on to this interview, A? Hmm? Hmm? Well then, I will say if you enjoy this, leave an iTunes review, but I said all that to say there's only thing one left to do say what there's only one thing left to do and that is inhale a hot breath with mark kindle how'd you get your own water man like my wife. Oh, for real? It was a birthday gift, yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. That's how I knew she was the one. Yeah. She she got me podcast water. <laughs> I was like, yeah, there we go. Yeah, you get Brandon. You understand, <laughs> oh, yeah, she made the theme song for this, too. I wouldn't. Oh, for real? Oh, yeah, wow. I wouldn't have anything. Yeah. We wouldn't be here right now. Yeah. This is exciting. Yeah. I'm sitting down with <laughs> legend. <laughs> I'm so nervous. Everything's falling. <laughs> you you got home court advantage though. We're here at Dad's garage, so <laughs> I see you brought me to your home court. That's good. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody's really sat down with you like this before, so this is this is exciting. Oh yeah, yeah, it's cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> if you could please say your full name to yes. the microphone. Uh, my name is Mark Kendall. Yeah, that's my full name. Or I can use my middle name too. I'm one. Oh, middle name is Oliver, so technically my full name is Mark Oliver Kendall. Mark Oliver Kendall. Yeah, that's my full name. Welcome to the Hot Breathiverse, sir. I appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. It's such an honor. You're saying your government name on here. It's usually when I interview black comedians on here, they're like, you want my government name? You want (laughs) the full thing? Where is this going? (laughs) (laughs) That has been like a common theme, but... um, I had, this has been a couple years in the making, man, because I know you've been working on your show, which the the title, can you even say the full title? Yeah, what is it? The Magic Negro and Other Blackity Blackness. It's told by an African-American man who also happens to be black. Yes, all that. Yeah. So I know that's been such a work in progress. And 
when you first started it like three years ago, I was wanting to interview you, but I'm glad it happened now because I got to see it at the Alliance. The show I was at was like sold out. It was a mixed crowd. This was like on a Wednesday. Did all of them sell out? No, not all of them. But uh, but by that last week or so, they were had word of mouth had spread. Yeah, so we had solid crowds for that last week in particular. You got to be riding high after that. That's oh, great. It's yeah, a great opportunity. Yeah. How did this show evolve? Because we, mm. what we saw, I guess, is the final product. But I'm sure it's a lot of just repetition and editing yeah. and like it's, wh- been, it's been through a lot. Um, <laughs> so I guess the I can take you through like the different iterations of it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, basically, I did it first. Uh, at Dad's Garage back in the winter of 2014. Mm-hmm. And while I was doing the run of that show, I was also applying for a grant at the Alliance Theater okay. to continue to develop it. So then when I finished the run at Dad's, like it was like November, December of 2014. In a couple of months, I started the grant progress process with the Alliance. And so that was like a year and a half of working on it, showing them versions of it, using the grant money to go travel with it. Hmm. And so then, uh, so I did a couple workshop performances there that were like very stripped down. And I also started to take it to certain places. So like this past summer, for example, I did a run of shows at the Edmonton Fringe Festival, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, very nice. Uh, and then uh, just this past weekend, I wrapped up the full version, which had like, you know, a set, projections, props, costumes, uh, kind of like a fuller production under the direction of uh, Anthony LeBlanc. Yeah. He's from uh, Second City in Chicago, who's a great guy. How did you guys link up? Uh, I just heard about him. Yeah. So it's just like uh, I went to school uh, in a suburb of Chicago at Northwestern. So it's in Evanston. And so Chicago is like a huge improv town. And um, and so I didn't do a ton of improv when I was in Chicago because when I was an undergrad, I was primarily a writer. Didn't write. Didn't start performing until like I was on my way out. Okay. Uh, but even so, Anthony was big in improv. I mean, he still is big in improv in Chicago, but at the time, he was like on the main stage at Second City, which is kind of like as high as you can go. And it was also kind of unusual because he's a black guy, because at least when I started improv, mm-hmm. hardly any black guys. <laughs> there, there are a few more now, but I mean, even to say there are a few more is silly. It's like there's just, there's just not that many. And so the fact that he was like on the main stage when I was in college, I remember that. And then he did some podcasts that I had heard about. And he was like really smart, intelligent on the podcast. And he was talking about a lot of the same things that I talk about in the show. So when I was doing the production at the Alliance, I was just like, I'd love to work with this guy. And so that's how that worked out. So you just reached out to him? Uh, well, the Alliance did on their behalf. Okay. And so, uh, and I'm fortunate in that, like, when you do a show at the Alliance, they can fly in people from wherever and put them up while they work on your show. Right, so yeah. It's crazy. So um, so that's how that worked out. So, so, I, so I requested him, and he was one of the people that I talked to about directing it. Yeah, looking at the program, just seeing almost like the roster you had of, like, even – the director, the set designer, everybody had an incredible resume. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's a great accomplishment, and like, just it kind of it happened. Yeah, you know, you actually made it happen. Yeah, yeah. Something I noticed with it, which was very entertaining, was hearing people's reactions. Like people were so invested in what you were doing mm-hmm. that they would just like blurt out stuff, almost like Tourette's. Yeah. And like, I'll never forget the one line that stuck out to me was when you said being, uh, being pro-black doesn't mean you're anti-white. And this lady just goes, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that was that moment. Just people, you brought, you draw people into that show and they feel like it's just you two talking. And like, what are, 
What are some of the other crazy outbursts? There had to have been others. Uh, yeah, there are a couple others. Like I do this bit where I read green eggs and ham. Yeah. <laughs> saying green eggs and ham i replaced green eggs and ham with the n-word and so every couple shows people would shout out weird things so like i'm i'm leading up like the whole thing is a build up to me dropping the m-bomb mm-hmm. and so like a couple times in the audience you can hear people when i'm like when i'm about to say it they're like no don't don't no <laughs> and then sometimes when i do first say the n-word one one show someone was like boo <laughs> like uh, yeah uh what else uh there's one show where there's someone that was very kind that was very into it and a couple times throughout the show, very loudly, where everyone could hear, he would just shout, that is good. And once he like shouted over one of the bigger laugh lines in the show, so I'm like, it was very kind, but you, you took away an important joke. <laughs> in the best way, but it was, it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> he was trying to be helpful. He was trying to be helpful. And he was, he was, he was great, he was great. Was the Green Eggs and Ham part of the original show, mm-hmm. or did that evolve into it? That was like one of the first pieces I had as part of yeah. the show. So that's like that's probably one of the older pieces. It's incredible, oh, man. Thanks, man. Thank you. I appreciate How, it. What was the writing with that? Because you have such mm-hmm. a strong, not only writing background, but also improv background. Was mm-hmm. there a mix of both, or was it pretty much yeah, pen to paper? It was kind of a mix of both. So uh-huh. it's like, I, I don't know exactly what the ratio is, but there's some sketches in there where it's like, it was me sitting down at a computer and like writing out a script and memorizing that script. But then there are other pieces that were never really written down until they had to be written down so I could give it to a designer. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha, so gotcha. It's like, uh, so something like I have a sketch called the Black Experience Obstacle Course where it's like, yeah, I, brought, I brought you up. I was a part and, of that. And, I, yeah. and, I, and it's an audience participation piece where I'm just taking them through these different moments in history and I'm making <laughs> them do these different physical actions. So it's not like I ever really like wrote that down. I just kind of like thought of it Maybe I wrote out an outline for myself to look at, mm-hmm. but then like I did it at a show. I did it at Dottie the first time. Oh, cool. Uh, the solo performance uh-huh. show that's in town. Yeah. Uh, so I tried that out there for the first time. And then you just kind of keep doing it. And then once it's like into the show, once you put it into the show, then you do need to write out a script so the sound designer can know what to build so that the lighting designers know what to do. So that was something that was challenging for some pieces. Because from some pieces, it's just like, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, like I say something different every time. But then like during the rehearsal process, I really needed to like nail down exactly what I say. Uh, also because Anthony LeBlanc is from Second City, uh, their process is like creating sketch through improv. Mm. So uh, uh, when we were trying to come up with new material during the rehearsal process, there's definitely times when he's just like, oh, just improvise new lines, improvise new bits. And so some of that found its way into the show as well. Have people been reaching out to you? Like, Clearly, the show had a great buzz, and you've been touring it all over America and up in Canada. But like, since you've done the Alliance run, has anybody like reached out that you were like, "Whoa, that was cool"? Uh, some people like about uh, doing doing shows elsewhere and things like that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I think something that was cool. Uh, a uh, I think a psychologist. Came, I think her. She's a psychologist. She came to see it, and she studies racial bias. Mm. And so we, uh, she came to see the show, enjoyed it. We met up, talked about like her what she studies, and she's like, you know, there's not a lot of crossover between the theatrical arts and academia on this topic. And so what she did is she put together a survey. Uh, and so she handed it out to people for the past couple, for the last couple shows. So people filled out a survey before the show and a survey after the show, talking about their racial biases and things like that. And so she's going to do a study trying to see what the show's effect has on people's racial bias. Whoa. And so that'll be interesting. So that was a cool connection that happened. Because it's interesting to hear you talk about the show and how you almost feel like sometimes people, people leave the show, but they still don't get the message. Mm-hmm of the show what what do you think what is that disconnect do you think Mm -hmm. and what is the message would you say yeah so uh to me i think the show is kind of about how uh, 
you know, being black, going through white society a lot of the time, there's a way that people want to see you, right? And so uh, they see blackness as a certain thing. So to a certain degree, to like get along with people, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's like you're a boss, police, whoever it is, uh, uh, a lot of times you find yourself uh, performing in a sense, changing the way you are so you can kind of like make your way through life, you know? And I think other people do that to different degrees for different things. You know, anytime you're in like a new spot and someone thinks you're a certain thing, uh, you can either go against that or <laughs> like sometimes uh, maneuver your way through it. I think everyone's done a version of that. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of about what are the ways that we do that? Uh, and then also it's kind of like, well, what does it mean to be a black performer performing comedy specifically? And um, and so it's sort of about like those inner conflicts. Uh, but it's just like, uh, as far as like, do people get that message? Do they pick up on the subtleties of that? It's like, I don't know. So it's like, if you're, if you're someone that does think about that kind of stuff every day, like I do, I know other people do, but maybe it's just like, you come to the show and you've never really given race a second thought because you've never really had to. And then someone hits you with those things for the first time. It's just like, Oh, I can see how you may not catch everything, you know? Mm-hmm. So even though you might subconsciously know what a magic Negro is every show, there's plenty of people that don't know what that is. They haven't necessarily heard that term, you know, cause it's like not everyone knows that term. Um, so that's why I so slowly, so try to, uh, that's what that whole beginning of the show is like, this is what this character is. Right. Like, this is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, if you've already heard that term, you've already thought about it, you've already talked about it with your friends, some of these pieces may make sense. But if you do come into the show and you're like, oh, I'm colorblind. I don't think about race. And I think that that's great. I mean, that's cool and everything uh, if, that's, if that's worked for you so far, you know? But it's <laughs> like, uh, but it's like if, if, you, if you do fall into that camp, I can kind of see how coming into that show, you might not necessarily pick up all, on all those nuances, you know? Yeah, what stuck out to me is when you said something about the performance of being black, mm-hmm. pretty much, and how when you walk around, mm-hmm. you're putting on an act pretty much all the time. Mm-hmm. Is that what you were yeah. kind of getting at? Mm-hmm. So that at all times, you're just walking around trying to, you're almost performing instead of just uh, existing? Not, not necessarily like at all times, but I think at all times you're dealing with what other people expect you to be, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the degree to which you choose to uh uh, uh, play that up is up to you. You know what I'm saying? So I think people do that to different degrees. That's kind of what I mean. So it's like, um, and it could be a range of things, you know? So it's just like, uh, what's up, Jamie? Uh, so it's just like, um, I'm trying to think of like, uh, well, an obvious example, example I can think of yeah. is just, you, you hear black comedians talk about, they have like their white voice yeah. that they'll do in job interviews yeah. or whatever, which yeah. I mean, white people do as well. Yeah but not nearly. I'm not trying to say, hey, but what about the white struggle? Mm-hmm. But it's it's just interesting to hear you say it as like a performance. I've never heard like kind of the the existence of a black person as a whole performance. I was like, whoa, that's that's heavy. Mm-hmm. That really mm-hmm. stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's like, you know, like I said, I think it's like to different degrees. To different and I think degrees, a lot yeah. of it's kind of like about uh, uh, sort of different experiences that I've had, you know, where it's like you're doing it to different degrees. So for example, like... Uh, uh, when I first came to Atlanta, started doing improv. Uh, when I first got here, I was normally always doing it with all of the white guys, you know. And so uh, that can be a tricky dynamic, you know. Yeah. And so, <laughs> like, it doesn't happen as much anymore because I'm more experienced and more people know me. 
I remember my first couple shows and I was playing with a white person for the first time. It'd be like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes before we did a scene and they're like, I adopted you. You know what I'm saying? Or something to like mm. address the fact that like I look different than them or like putting me in like interesting situations because they're just trying to wrap their head around the fact that I am black. Uh, also at the same time, like uh, I was also like very self-conscious about not playing like stereotypes that were damaging or, you know, making myself seem appear like a buffoon so as not to embarrass myself or other black people coming to see shows. Because mm -hmm. that was something that was always very much in my head when I started performing. Um, and so like for the first several years of my like improv career, whenever I did shows, I would never like bring up race like in an improv show or I'd never like play like a black person. And I mean, I'm always black. I'm never not going to be, but it's just like, <laughs> but never like bring that like to the surface, you know, right. unless someone else did it first. Mm -hmm. And so even that to me was just kind of like, oh, why am I doing that? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I know why I was doing that, but it's just like uh, that. Or uh, I went to film school, for example, and uh, I was the only black guy in my, my film class the whole time that I went through it. All four years? All four years, yeah. Wow. There, there was, um, uh, it, like in my year. And right. there, was, uh, there was a black woman that transferred in like sophomore year, but she wasn't, she didn't like take a lot of the classes. She didn't like work on a lot of the films. And so it's like weird when you're in a class of like a lecture hall watching some of these old movies and like blackface characters show up and you're just like, there's a blackface person on screen. And the teacher's just like, now look at the cinematography. This is so beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know. And you didn't want to say anything? They didn't really like talk about it that much. Well, uh -huh. what was really interesting was like, um, taking like a film history class or taking like an American history class and then taking uh, an African-American studies class that covered the same period of time mm -hmm. and showing how they're looking at the same events, but from like completely different lenses. That was really eye-opening. So like one of the things that I studied in college in addition to film was like um, representation in the media. So like a lot of the things that uh, I talk about in the show. And I guess the reason why I say performance of blackness, uh, it happens in life, but I, also, I was also sort of talking about my personal experience from being a comedic performer or mm -hmm. being like a film student creating these performances. And so like a lot of my life, a lot of my creative life was built around the idea of performance and what kind of images you put out there. And so, um, and how there's sometimes certain similarities between that world versus just like your everyday life, you know, phone interviews, in-person interviews, mm -hmm. how you dress, how you choose to walk, all those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. It's how you carry yourself from day to day. What was the environment you had growing up? Uh, yeah, uh, interesting. Well, like I uh, went to school, well, my elementary school was like somewhat mixed. Uh, it was like uh, a mix of kids and we all went to school together from like preschool all the way to like sixth grade. And okay. it was like a mix of students. So like, it's like a private school? Private school. Okay. And so like a lot of uh, Jewish kids, some black kids, like all different, uh, like a, I wouldn't say like a ton of like uh, un, like more diversity than what I had in junior high and high school. So junior high and high school, I went to Westminster, which is a very fancy like private school. In town. Oh yeah, very private, uh, very private. And it was funny yeah. because I went to uh, high school or junior high. Me and um, my friend uh, were the only two people from our elementary school that went to Westminster. Or oh, no, 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 that's not true. Anyway, point is, I, I went to Westminster with me and my other friend, who was a black guy, and we went to our new junior high school, and we were two black guys, and so like. Uh, we increased the population of black males by 100% because there were two. And then 
the two of us showed up, and then there became four. Wow. And that was in seventh grade, and then they never added another one after that <laughs> through the rest of high school. Are you serious? No, I'm not joking. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, wow. Um, but actually, uh, in high school, or junior high, or I guess whenever, that was kind of when, that was probably like when I first got like that type of culture shock, because mm. that was the first time where I was seen as like a black person by my peers, you know, versus like, I mean, that would happen like with adults when I was younger, but most of the friends that I grew up with had known me since I was a kid. So we didn't necessarily look at each other in the uh, same way. But by the time I got to be like 11, 12, uh, then kind of put into those spheres, that's when it was like, oh, that's when a lot of those other things started happening. Not just with my peers, but with my teachers. Uh, Cause like growing up, a lot of my teachers were black, um, but I barely had any uh, through junior high and high school. At so, Westminster? Westminster, yeah. Yeah, because those aren't just like white people. Those are yes. white yeah. people. Yeah. Those are honkies over there. Those, <laughs> those are like the elite whites. So you really got to – I don't know those type of whites. They're a different shade. I don't know what that <laughs> – they, they are very, very nice people, but they also have their names on buildings. It's kind of like that. <laughs> very, very nice. They own a lot of stuff. It was kind of like that's when you first overhear um, kids talking about things like, their golf scores over the weekend right right or like uh you know their families have recollections of owning slaves like the, they would say stuff. those things to you uh, not to me but I you would over stuff yeah wow yeah or it's just like <laughs> you know i mean it's just like that money came from somewhere yeah, you know what i'm saying like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um so that was interesting and what yeah. were you up to all that time uh i was trying to play basketball man but it wasn't any good oh snap yeah, i was short and i was slow <laughs> so like uh so i wasn't any good um, so I didn't really do much in high school. I mean, I played in the band. That was about it. Were you a singer? No, man. You didn't I sing. played the euphonium baritones, oh. like a small tuba. Okay. Not very good. Uh, I'm not very, like, I wasn't very good at it. Um, but like midway through high school, um, I got really into filmmaking and I started watching Spike Lee films. Cool. And something that was really cool about Spike Lee for like his first five films, like, uh, you know, she's got to have it. School Days, Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, uh, Mo Better Blues. What he would do is he would, like a movie would come out, but then he'd also have like an accompanying book that went with it. So it's like you read the book and it was basically like his production journal, the script, like everything. So it's sort of like DVD commentary before DVD commentary. That's cool. And so it's like you could learn a lot about making movies just from watching the film and then reading the book and then watching the film again. Mm -hmm. And he was like very honest with his mistakes and stuff like that. It was like, it was amazing. It was an amazing resource. Like... And, um, and so that was, so I started to get like really into filmmaking. And so that's why I chose to go to Northwestern because I had a film program. And, um, so yeah, so I, so I went to school there and was writing, directing films, things like that. And, uh, and pretty early on I got into comedy because, uh, you know, being in film school, people would always be making these short films and things. And at the end of the year, you'd always go to these screenings, people would show their work. And it's just like, man, the stuff that was always good was the comedic stuff because you only have like five to 20 minutes to make these things. You don't have like a full 90 minutes to two hours to like flesh out a narrative. Mm -hmm. And so it's like the stuff that was good was the stuff that was funny. And so it's like, oh, comedy is really interesting. So freshman year, I kind of joined up with a sketch group. I was just like crewing on like these sketch videos. And, um, and then after my, uh, 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 after junior year, I did this internship uh, Chris Rocky set up this program, Comedy Central, for aspiring writers of color, mm. uh, where you would uh, you spend a summer it's Comedy Central, and they put you up and everything, and uh, they pay you, and you uh, you 
just basically rotate through different departments and you learn like the writer positions of those departments. So wow. like, so for example, so like the first week I was in their blogging department, so I'd blog an article for them or like look up jokes. And then I'd be in the uh, on off air promotions. You'd like pitch ways to promote shows. At the time they were trying to promote chocolate news. So they're looking for ideas for chocolate news or they were doing like the roast of Bob Saget. How would we like promote this? Um, then I went through uh, development for a couple of weeks. And so that's where they like take all these scripts and they decide what they want to develop into TV shows. And you learn what that's like. So I'd read, read, read all these pilots. Uh, and then, but the best part of it was I got to spend a week at The Daily Show and a week at The Colbert Report. And so for the week that I was at The Daily Show, and it was great because it was the summer of 08. So it was like an election year. Nice. Palin had just joined things, mm -hmm. you know. And so like, uh, so it was like uh, both of these shows were kind of like at their peak. And so I was paired with a writer um, and he'd give me assignments, but then I'd also like sit in on meetings uh, you pitch jokes, uh, and I just observed them do their thing. So it's like Wyatt Cenac was like brand new. John Oliver was like in the office. I met John Stewart. I met Stephen Colbert, uh, Larry Wilmore, um, all these other people. Uh, so and so, cool. I, so I just got to shadow them, and I just asked them a bunch of questions all the time. And the, the the big takeaway from that summer was that all of them were either stand up comedians or improvisers. Very few of them just wrote, and because um, it's like you're writing something that needs to. I mean, especially like in that context, it's like you got to write stuff that sounds funny like later that day. Yeah. So it's just like the ability to know how things sound. You got to be like a lot of them were very accomplished performers in their own right. Um, <clears throat> so that's when I started doing stand up was that summer because uh, I was in Manhattan and they had us living in the village. And it was just like, man, I was so spoiled. It was just so it's easy. incredible. <laughs> it was just so easy to just like walk out of your dorm, walk to an open mic, do a set and then walk to the other mic, do another set. It's like, oh, well, that was an hour, yeah. two sets, I'm done. <laughs> it's also like, it was so different when I moved back to Atlanta. It's just like, <laughs> and it's just like, I mean, Atlanta's a great scene, but yeah. like uh, when I moved back, it was like 09, 010, and it was a good scene then, but not nearly as many open mics as there are now. And so it's just like, it was uh, considerably more work just to do a set or two mm -hmm. versus what it was in New York, which is kind of why I got more into improv, quite frankly, because I felt like I could get more out of my time um, gotcha. by doing that. So that was a long answer about school, but <laughs> no, <laughs> that's a, that that's was a great answer. answer. Okay, cool. Serious? cool. There's nothing long about hearing you being a rock turn okay. at Comedy Central. Yeah, that's what they <laughs> called us, actually, it was rock turns. So you already, you get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was there anything else you learned from being that close to those kind mm -hmm. of productions? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, uh, I learned that, like, I, I asked them all kinds of questions, and some of the things are just, like, in the back of my head, but yeah. um, I just learned a lot. They, they said that, like, your career is never, like, a straight line, you know? And so it's just, like, it's just kind of the thing where it's, like, you have to try really hard and stick with it. And so it feels kind of, like, corny or cheesy, but it's, like, no, like, you got to try really hard and stick with it. Because both of those guys, John Stewart and Stephen Colbert, kind of, like, achieved, like, what they are now a little later on in life. I mean, like, even Colbert is like kind of just now the host of the late show, you know, but he's been around for like for years, you decades, know, like yeah. Yeah, decades. <laughs> and it's just like, he's, he's done cool stuff, but it's just like, he's just been in it for a long time. And um, I think the other thing that I learned that was really important then was like, even though I was in college at the time, I was like 21 at the time or something like that. Um, I learned like, you gotta hold yourself to like high standards. So it's just like, 
you don't want to create stuff that's just funny enough for you and your friends or for your own like little comedy scene, mm -hmm. but like you want to try to create something. You're you're trying to compete with the everybody else that's in the world. I forget how one of the writers phrased it. But I was talking to one of the writers. It's just like your competition isn't like, you know, I don't know. I forget how he phrased it. So I, I might I might be not. But the way I interpreted it was it's just like once you go out there into the world and you're trying to like make it make tv shows make comedy your competition isn't like your college buddies or like the people like in your scene competition is like chris rock you know what i'm saying like you're trying to get mm -hmm. you're trying to get as funny as those guys like hold yourself to those standards and it's not like it's easy but that's the point you know and um i also learned like how important stage time was so like after that summer i was just like obsessed with getting as much stage time as possible mm -hmm. um what else i learned oh i learned that like uh best idea wins, like the rule of best idea wins. So it's like I was in a, a rock term with no experience, um, but I was still allowed to pitch jokes uh, and they would take them sometimes, not all the time, but like for the Colbert Report, I got like one line on, like I oh, pitched wow. one line uh -huh. and they like tweaked some words and then they like kept it on there. They did not have to do that. I'm sure if they wanted to, they could have beaten that line. But I think the idea was that they were trying to find the best idea that came out in that moment and sort of like an improv kind of thing, yeah. trying to make your scene partners look good. And so, like, they really built my confidence with that. They didn't have to do that. But I think that that environment is what allowed them, everybody, to be the best version of themselves. And so, uh, so yeah, so, like, I heard that at both shows, like, best idea wins, you know. And so, to me, what that means is, like, it doesn't matter, like, try to, you try to take ego out of it, but you try to work with everybody in the best way possible to, like, get the best joke possible. Uh, also, like... Uh, Kanye's music and I read kind of like a similar thing when they someone wrote an article about his recording of my beautiful dark twisted fantasy and it's like when he was recording that even like if the delivery guy came over he'd be like what do you think about this what do you think about these jokes oh uh, yeah and like uh or it's just like and I think it works I mean it's just like whenever I'm in rehearsal you have other people in rehearsal that aren't necessarily part of the creative team but if just like you know if the lighting person's there and they have an opinion about the joke I'll listen to it you know what I'm saying it's just yeah. like it's, it's the idea that a good idea, good opinions can come from anywhere. And even if they don't necessarily have like the right solution, the thing that they're not connecting with can sometimes like reveal to you what you need to work on, oh, you know? So it's like, if yeah. someone's just like, oh, you know what? You should change this joke to that. That might not be the answer. But the thing is, is like whatever you had there was not working for them. And so even if you don't necessarily take their solution, try and think about what they're saying, why they're not connecting with whatever the part of the material. But I mean, it was just, it was just that, that whole summer was just like, crazy i mean it was just like met so many it's incredible got got to meet so many interesting people it was really great being able to watch the writers work during the day and then to go see them perform comedy at night you know and it's just like oh i get it you know were the writers rooms very diverse no no i think that's probably i mean that's probably why they had the program you know like because uh, okay. it's like um they, and, and they got more diverse i'm sure as after i left um but uh and i and i was there for a short period of time so it's like i was there for five days on each show so I can't really speak to what life was like there. But the writer's room um, at the Daily Show when I was there, all white guys. Uh, and then maybe I think they added a female pretty soon after that. Uh, and they had black contributors, black and female contributors, but they were normally also writer performers. So, for example, like Larry Wilmore, Wyatt Snack, they, they'd write their material, but it's like they were also performers. But as far as like full-time writers, people that are just there to write, mm -hmm. I only saw white dudes. And then the Colbert poor, all white, and then there's like one female. And that was at the time that I was there. Or I should take that back. There was one female in the writing staff and then there was one female that was an executive producer at the time. So kind of like running the show, uh, but no black people. 
And what was the line you got on Colbert? Do you remember it? Yeah. So like, you know, at the top when he's just like, uh, he says like three one-liners and he's like, some, some, some. this is the Colbert report. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mine was, it's not very good. <laughs> it, it kinda, it kinda, in my opinion, it bombed. Even then, <laughs> I was just like, was that worth it? <laughs> like, I was like, was it worth it to bomb? But anyway, it was like, uh, for every action, I have a superior and opposite reaction. This is the Colbert report. That was the line. I like yeah. it. Oh, thanks, man. No, Appreciate that was it. worth it. Okay, cool, cool, cool. People are going to be laughing when they hear that. All right, sure. all right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we'll add a laugh track. <laughs> <laughs> is being around those political, I mean, really, those are the, the peak of political humor. Yeah. Is that when the wheels started turning on maybe developing um, a one-man show like Magic Negro? Uh, no, not so much. It was more so what I learned from that was just to focus on what you're really interested in. Okay. Because, like, they take, like, everyday news and like turn it into comedy so it's not just like the big picture things it's also just like what happened that day and to me that's like fine but that's not necessarily what i'm passionate about like Mm -hmm. i look at if a headline jumps out to me like yeah that can be inspiration for something but it's like they had to like go into the news every day it's like you know you wake you go to a morning meeting at the colbert report for example and and people are just like flipping through newspapers and then they have like a team of people uh like in this big room that are just like going through news picking out clips so it's just like they get into the minutiae of everyday news it's tough for me to be passionate about that in fact i remember i was on i was on the colbert report and i was giving like an assignment like i came up with jokes and they're like go through um go through the news pitch us some jokes you know and i came back and i gave him to work and none of them were really funny and he kind of got like angry at me. He's just like, dude, you got to get passionate about this stuff. And I'm just like, I don't know if I can. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, but 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 the thing was, it's just like I saw that everyone was very passionate about it. Okay. And it's that that passion, that interest that gives you the point of view, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like similar, I guess, to like writing what you know. I guess like something that I learned from that is like write what you're passionate about so that you care, you know. So mm-hmm. like and so much about like improvising scenes, like a lot of the instructions that people give you about like not asking questions, not being strangers, all that stuff I think is to get to faster the meat of like why you care about this other person that you're in the scene with. Um, so, but, uh, but, but I did, what, what I did take away from that was um, learning to write for myself because up until that point, I'd mainly write for other people oh. because I wasn't really a performer, um, but like learning the importance of like writing for myself and finding things that I did care about, you know? Uh, so that's what I took away from it. Yeah. When are you, you going to do stand-up again? I'd love we to miss soon. you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did the 1 a.m. secret show a couple weeks ago, and that was fun. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, that was fun. And, and sometimes I do do stand-up shows. It's just that uh, I want to get back to just, like, doing pure stand-up. So, like, for example, as I was prepping for this show, for, uh, for the Magic Negro show, like, I went to Punchline and did a set. Uh, where else was I? I think I did some something else. I did the 1 a.m. secret show a couple weeks ago. But more recently, when I've been doing stand-up shows, I've been doing character pieces things like that you okay know? but i'd like to get back to just like writing jokes because it's such a good exercise and stand-up audiences are different and more difficult than improv audiences and so it's just like man i need to do that more yeah. well we'll uh we'll get you out of here soon mr kendall i don't oh, yeah. wanna oh no man hold you up here no man you you get whatever information <laughs> you need man I, I'm, I'm i'm just trying you know you do what you need to do i want to extract as much as possible oh out sure of man yeah you're, yeah you're a mysterious oh. figure <laughs> In the in the comedy world, okay, yeah. you're like the funniest person in the city, but the the most subtle, <laughs> like you would never you would never know it unless unless you talk to somebody about you. They're oh. like, oh yeah, Mark Kendall, he's a genius. Oh. And you can talk to Mark. He's like, oh, what a nice guy. He'd be a good valet or something. That that wasn't racial. That was just a personality thing. I want that to go on the record. 
I love how I pick a service <laughs> job. <laughs> service. <laughs> I'm part of the problem. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. Oh man. Did you ever do stand up in urban rooms? Uh, a little bit, but not very much. Yeah. A little bit, but not very much. Uh, like, uh, in fact, I even may have seen you one night in particular where I did Cat's Cafe. Yeah. Man, I bombed so hard. <laughs> I bombed so hard. Uh, and like, I, it was interesting. I did my, I was doing my Marta piece actually, or, or at some point I was. I did other things too. Mm -hmm. But at some point I went to my Marta piece and like, um, I don't know, I didn't connect basically. Like, I didn't connect. Uh, I don't think they really knew where I was coming from. And I think I had like five minutes, but I got the light at like one or two. <laughs> like, like, I, like I, I, I like, I bombed so hard. And I was uh -huh. like, oh, dang. Um, yeah. So, but I'd like to do more. Uh, and I think part of it too, not to make excuses, like I bombed, you know what I'm saying? Like, so not to make excuses about that. But I think the other thing too, though, is uh, I am more of like a sketch comedian. And so it's just like, uh, then a pure standup. So mm -hmm. it's like, so sometimes when I do things like that, where I bring a sketch character to a standup show, the context is not right. But like, uh, in the context of like, you come to a theater or you come to a sketch show and I'm doing it, uh, I did much better with the black audiences that came to see me there. Have you ever been booed on stage before? Uh, not hard. Not hard. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, uh, meaning, like, so, like, uh, once during, like, doing Green Eggs and Ham during the run of the show, someone shouted boo. Was it dropped an N-bomb? Uh-huh. Um, but part of it, I think, honestly, is not because I haven't sucked really bad because I have. I think it's more so that um, I've done more improv than stand-up. And so uh, in improv, when you bomb, it's just met with indifference or people leaving. Oh, not nobody. Really, <laughs> not really, like, active booing. <laughs> so it's just like, if you really bomb an improv, you get silence, and then you come back from the intermission, and you're like, where'd everybody go? You know? <laughs> You've had that happen. Yeah. Yeah, I was doing one. Uh, I bombed pretty bad. So, like, once... Ooh, tell me the worst. Uh, there are a couple times. So once I was doing an improv show for, like, four people. Wow. I was doing a show for four people, and we, brought, we were bombing. And I came back, and then, there were, and, then there were, and then there were two people after intermission. Uh, once, once I did an improv show, uh, and I didn't think that it was that bad, but then afterwards when we were, like, greeting people goodbye, someone came up and was just, like, spent, like, ten minutes telling me about, like, how I could have been better. Wow. Like, in a nice way. It wasn't being mean, but just, like, you know, you could have been better. Uh, <laughs> when I bombed uh, at Cats, that was pretty bad because, I mean, it's just, like, after like a minute and a half, they were just like, no, get off. Just get off. Get yeah. Off. And it wasn't like I was early in the show. I had waited a long time. You know, like, mm -hmm. it was bad. Uh, uh, there are a lot of weird things that happen in shows. I'm trying to think about, like, but I, I, I I'm, unfortunately, I don't really have any, like, great bombing stories. I mean, once, um, <laughs> uh, back in, like, September, I was out of town doing a gig, and I was at this place, and my show uses, like, sound cues you know so it's like i don't do anything crazy but like i bring like a flash drive and i'm like here are like these six cues that i need you to hit play on throughout the show and uh, i was doing the show and the audience was already small like 10 people and i was going through my set oh this is my birthday by the way and I was, at, I, was, I was out of town it was my birthday and i was doing this set <laughs> 30th yeah nice i was doing it was my 30th birthday i was doing the show for like 10 people and i was like <laughs> okay let's just make it great for them and then like uh uh there's this uh, sound cue that's supposed to happen where it's just like welcome to black science can a person skip and listen to hip-hop music at the same time that's how it starts mm -hmm. uh but he's like i don't have any sound i was like okay cool uh, i'm gonna go on to the next piece and then so i did a couple other pieces then i came to the next sketch where i needed a sound cue 
I don't have any sound. I was like, all right, cool, cool. So uh, I tried to do a little bit more material. And I was like, well, guys, that's about it. I know the show's about an hour, but there's only about like 30 minutes that I can do without the sound cues. Uh, thank you so much for coming. Uh, happy birthday to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this is what I pictured when I was 30. Yeah, yeah. Performing in front of 10 people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to fail, though. Oh, yeah. No, you got to fail. I think those are the most useful shows. I agree completely. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, 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 think, I think I bomb a decent amount. But as far as like getting like booze, I just haven't. Mm -hmm. But I think that's just more of where I performed rather than like, it's not like oh, I'd never do something warrant that warrants a boo. I'm sure I should have been booed. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. How, how is the, the political or the, how is the racial climate? Mm -hmm. How does it affect the, uh, the, the reaction you get from the actual show? Cause like certain more turbulent times may get different reactions than if it's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, sometimes that affects things. So like, uh, I was in Baltimore once. Something happened. I don't know. Something was going on in the news, and it felt like tense in the room. Uh, especially because, like, uh, that show, the first night I was in Baltimore, something had happened in the news. I think Trump had a rally that was, like, not in the same city, but, like, so, something. Yeah, something. Trump was around. Yeah, something, something happened uh -huh. uh, politically, and it felt tense. And uh, most of the audience members were white, but a black improv troupe opened for me. And then they were up like in the balcony kind of watching the show. Uh, but then most of the white audience members were down in the crowd. And it was very interesting doing the show because it's like, <laughs> they'd be laughing up here, pretty quiet down here. And that dynamic was pretty interesting and pretty clear. Oh, interesting. Um, as far as like how the run at the Alliance went, it's just like, uh, uh, on certain nights I do two shows like an eight and a 1030. Mm -hmm. Um, and so a lot of times the 1030 show would be like younger, oftentimes also like a blacker audience. Um, and so it's sort of like with the blacker audiences, you get like these recognition laughs versus like the white audiences, uh, tend to laugh at things, but more from a place of surprise, you know? Gotcha. And so yeah. like, those are different kinds of laughs. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, you know, like just as an example, like and the Alliance too has like a much older clientele than what I'm used to. So it's like at the Alliance, it's not unusual to have a bunch of audience members that are like 50, 60, 70, 80 plus, you know, like, and a lot of them out of hundreds of people, like a lot of them are like senior citizens and above. And so like when you play bad and bougie, like as a joke, <laughs> and most of them have no idea who that is, you know, that's very different than if everybody instantly recognizes them yeah. and then use it to reverse that. And so, yeah. and so like, I think each night I was able to get like a decent amount of laps. Like I, I wouldn't say any of the shows went that bad, but, um, but it's just like, there was a difference between like a good show versus like a great show where people are like just flipping out. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's sometimes how that can affect things. You know, how would you rate the show that I was at? Do you even remember? Vaguely. To gauge. There's so there's just so many. It was a uh, that was a solid show, but not like one of the better ones. I was impressed with how diverse it was. Yeah. I mean, the age, there was a range of race and age mm -hmm. in that show. So mm -hmm. it was interesting just to see that dynamic all mm -hmm. coming to converge. Yeah. You're bringing people together with it. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah. That's and that's why I was kind of curious about who had reached out because 
I mean, the show is really well put together. Oh, it has a really good message and it's effectively delivered and you really take people on a ride. I mean, you're Beyonce. When you take that, I was like, no, <laughs> no. And then you go, you go back. I'm like, all right, there he is. But you, you sell it. Oh, thank you. you sell it so well. Is it difficult to sell these night after night? You have to go to a mental place with that? Uh, sometimes it's difficult, but that's also like a lot of what the rehearsal process was, was like okay. uh, working up to being able to get the show to a place that this is a version of the show that I can do every night. Okay. You know, so there's a lot of things that went into that. So like, um, cause I had been doing like one version of the show for like a year, year and a half. Uh, but we made with the director, we made a lot of character changes, mm. uh, that were just like simply vocal changes just to like sustain my voice throughout. Um, and so like, I think that was a key part of it, changing my voice throughout, changing the speed at which I spoke throughout so that I didn't miss things. And then I think all of that helped with, you know, giving me more energy through the end of the show to be focused you know, mm-hmm. uh, at moments where I have to like sell things a little harder. Yeah. So where do, where does the show go from here? I mean, you have a very successful run here at Alliance. What's mm-hmm. kind of next? Uh, so I have a like a stripped down version of the show that I'll still travel with. Uh, so uh, so I'll be in like San Diego and Philly next month for a short trip. Cool. Yeah. And then um, um, I'd like to go, uh, and I'll probably go back to a couple other places that I've already been to. But they're like, oh, you should come back. Uh, and then I believe I'll be doing some shows at KSU in September. Cool. Um, and then, but again, these are just kind of like stripped down versions of the show. And so I'd like to start doing colleges at a certain point. Uh, so I'll probably reach out to some places, kind of work that route a little bit if possible. Uh, but as far as like the bigger production with like the set, all those kinds of things, uh, it depends. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it depends. It's kind of like a toss up because once, I mean, those theaters, they pick their shows more a year in, more than a year in advance. So it's just like, so for example, like all the shows that the Alliance is doing next season, for example, were decided like a while ago. So to get on other theaters' radar is a little bit more of a process. And there's a lot more that goes into the selection uh, process rather than like an improv theater or like a stand-up club. It's just like, oh, we got openings in June. Can you come in June? Mm-hmm. It's more like they plan stuff like more than a year in advance. So, uh, so all I can kind of really do at this point with that is like send out scripts, maybe like a sizzle reel to go with it. And then like some still photos and like the press that I've done. And so based off of that, we'll see. So, but I'm not entirely sure. It seems super marketable. I mean, that seems this, this woke movement, (laughs) if you will, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's going on right now. It's, it seems like Magic Negro plays right into that kind of whole market that's rising up right now. Are you noticing that trend as well? I have noticed how like uh, that could just be com- me being like a white in, guy. No, 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 yeah. no. I think like you're talking about like the tone of comedy in general. Yeah, yeah. Get out that, is yeah. the obvious example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed that. I think it's, yeah, I've seen some like in comedy, seen some of music too. You know, like uh, it's cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I, but I have noticed that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You see Magic Negro like playing because like they told you at Daily Show. Right. You know, you're competing with Chris Rock. You're not right. aiming for the right. middle. Right. So like, right. is that I mean, is that your vision? Is like you want to be like an influencer? Oh, I'd, I'd love to get like as big of a audience as possible, you know. So I think one thing I'd also like to try to do is, uh, even if I'm not doing like a like a theater run, uh, just trying to take it to some bigger market. So I haven't been to Chicago yet. Mm. I haven't been to New York yet. I went to LA once to do like a short set, but I'd like to go back there to maybe do like like a full hour there or something like that. Uh, so that's kind of like probably what I'd like to start to do to kind of 
plug into those places a little mm-hmm. bit more for sure. Yeah. What do your What do your parents think of all this? Uh, they like it. They saw it three times. So yeah, they, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so they like it. Uh, I mean, it's also like a little different, I think, because uh, my parents are not performers, not in the the arts. You know what I'm saying? So there's also kind of like that disconnect, you know, because it's just like you know, like comedy. The arts is, is not super practical. <laughs> you know, right. So, so yeah, it's they send like, you to Westminster and you're yeah, like, I'm yeah. going to go to film school. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and it's just like all my, uh, I'm the oldest of four. All my oh, younger, wow. younger siblings are all like in tech and stuff like that. Like, oh, yeah. Programmers, like, uh, you know, computers, that kind of thing. What are your parents uh, in? Uh, they both are like product manager types and business. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Um, that, that kind of stuff. Like very pretty traditional like straightforward so, and you veered yeah yeah that's, and we're grateful you did oh thanks man yeah, yeah. <laughs> one other thing i wanted to address before we wrap it up yeah was that i i had seen you were a casting assistant at tyler paris studios oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and i just just noticing the racial makeup like you're talking about how black people are perceived in the mainstream and then tyler perry there's like an own perception and that whole studio mm-hmm. it's like what was it like working for there and how did that kind of maybe mold your mm-hmm. racial identity yeah it was interesting uh it was i enjoyed being there mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was cool uh because it's like at least at the time that i was there it was cool like seeing black casting directors black cinematographers you know what i'm saying like yeah. that was cool um and also um at the time that i was there he was at he was kind of like in the center of a bunch of criticism, you know, who's kind of getting it from a bunch of different people like Spike Lee and people like that. Spike Lee, my, my Spike Lee that I love so much. <laughs> it's tough because it's like he was criticizing me. I was like, oh man, I work here, Spike Lee. You know, like, oh, no. what am I done? You know? um, but honestly, I kind of learned it's just like the way that I sort of look at it just in general is like, you know, he's making this content for this audience that he's found and he's built up over the years. And while it's not necessarily something that I like, it's not like necessarily something that I consume all the time. It's just like, it's like people enjoy it. So they enjoy it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, he keeps doing it. Yeah. You know? And uh, I think the other thing that I learned about like the time that I was there, when I was there, uh, I was there pretty briefly, but I worked on a season of Meet the Browns and House of Pain. And it's just like, they work way faster uh, than like anything else that I've seen, you know? So it's just like, I haven't been on like, I don't think I've worked on like a scripted sitcom before, but like maybe you do like an episode a week, an episode every eight days, but it's like, they would crank out, they would have House of Pain and Meet the Browns filming at the same time. And they would shoot like three or four episodes a week. Mm. And they would shoot like 60 or 70 episodes at a time, you know, with like, not a ton of resources, like one casting department. So I was in the casting department, but we would be casting for both shows at the same time, shooting three or four episodes a week. And then sometimes there might be a movie that we'd be helping out on as well. Uh, And it goes really fast. So it's like all the writers have to write that much faster. You have that much less time to rehearse. You know, you have that much less time to find the right people for certain roles. And so that can potentially like affect, you know, how you see it but it's just like but when you watch it when you watch house pain why or you watch um you know meet the browns or whatever it's just like you just watch it right up against friends or something like that mm. and it's not like all right Tyler Perry had this much money and this much time to make this episode enjoy the show oh and then friends had this much money and this much time to make right the episode. now watch this show you just watch it all as one thing but it's like they they were made under very different conditions uh so, you know, 
I don't know if that's like much of an answer, but that's just what I took away from it, I guess. Yeah, it was whatever you took away from it. Because yeah. the perception, you know, of Magic Negro is, you know, specifically black males being perceived this way mm-hmm. in movies and television. Yeah. But then you see Tyler Perry kind of doing it his way mm-hmm. and really empowering black people. Like you said, it's mm-hmm. pretty much all just hiring all within like that. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that maybe open up a new possibility to you. Like, oh, it is possible for like us to not just be seen as this one thing. Yeah, well, I guess like a thing that I've sort of taken away from him, like just seeing like the way he's done his thing is like, you know, he found his audience, makes things for his audience, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that's, 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 I mean, you can't really, I don't think you can really criticize, it's tough to criticize that, you know what I'm saying? Right, like, right, right, right. Uh, and it's just like, if you don't like it, you don't like it, but it's just like, you know, I don't know. yeah can't hate the player hate yeah, the game yeah yeah he got game yeah <laughs> sorry that, i wouldn't close on spike lee right there i'm sorry that was <laughs> oh, man. well uh mark kendall before we get out of here yeah is there anything else you want the world to know uh uh well joel thanks so much for having me on Appreciate my pleasure, my I'm, pleasure. I'm, I'm a fan of this podcast uh i guess it doesn't make sense for me to say on this podcast, if you haven't heard the podcast yet, give the podcast a try. But I say, like, listen to this dude's other episodes. You know, they're yeah. great. They're really good. I appreciate they're, that. Yeah, they're really great, man. Um, uh, no, I guess I, I guess I'd love to plug Dad's Garage if that's cool. That's where um, we are right so, now. So, yeah, so it's just like. Never um, even been here before. It's great. Yeah, uh, you know, please uh, come through, see shows here. We have shows here Tuesday through Saturday. Uh, improv, scripted comedy, we get special guests coming through. Um, so I, I would just strongly recommend that. It's a, it's a great place to come see a show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's me. All right. Well, Mark Kendall, is there anywhere they can keep up with you? Like social uh, media? Yeah, you... I'm on Facebook. I got a Heavy. Facebook page. Uh, Mark Kendall. Uh, I think it's, you know, if you search Mark Kendall, there's a picture of my face and you can give that a like. And uh, All right. yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, 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 that's probably what I recommend. But uh, I'm, at, I'm at Dad's Garage a lot too. So yeah, man. Awesome. Well, Mark Kendall, thanks for being on Hot Breath, man. Oh, yeah, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. We made it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Cool, man. Oh, boy. What a fun interview. Did you have fun? Let me know. Hit me up on iTunes. Drop a five-star review. Hit me up on social media, at Joel Byers Comedy. This interview, I'm sure you can agree. Definitely a fun one. Learned a lot about one of the funniest and most mysterious comedians out here in this comedy world. But certainly, always a treat. I was really interested to dive into... Just really the racial aspects of the show and just people in general. I had no idea about the performance of being black and all that. I'm just I'm just white. I just have all this pressure to be white and evil and to be a good tipper and a bad dancer. It's just uh, a lot of racial profiling to go around. But I think this episode could not be more timely with how the racial climate is, I think. It really does strike a chord with just the the pulse of the country. So I'm glad you guys got to experience it. If you enjoy this episode or would like to show your support, iTunes is certainly the best way to get your voice heard out there. I read all the reviews right here live on the air. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, if you have an upcoming comedy show, if you have um, a service you like to provide, like Comedy Artwork, he's been making... All of my logos and avatars and posters, all for me on my website. You can see them, joelbyerscomedy.com. So if you'd like to hear a shout-out on here, 
in front of a bunch of comedy fans and just artistic supporters in general, you can hit me up on social media at Joel Byers Comedy or JoelByersComedy.com or you can come see me at my show at Java Monkey Indicator. That's every Wednesday at 8.30, but it's really all about learning. I learned uh, a new word today. It's called edutainment. It's where you, it's educated entertainment. So, boom. That's edu, edutainment. I heard that from Charlemagne the God, who heard that from KRS-One, I believe. So, that's the whole goal of this podcast. So, if you have a service or anything you'd like my listeners to think they could benefit from, hit me up. I'm down to team up. And let's do it. Hashtag, we made it. Mm. I hate to go, but it's just so, so that time, you know, it's, it's time we get back into it. I will miss you, but in the meantime, you can go out and pick up my book. You're clearly a comedy fan and a fan of learning, so I would totally recommend Finding Your Funny, the comics playbook. It's at comicsplaybook.com or joelbyerscomedy.com. I wrote it with Dr. Robert Joseph. I brought the comedy knowledge. He brought the statistical and mathematical and analytical knowledge. I mean, this guy, not trying to brag, but MIT, Carnegie Mellon, heard of those? Yeah. He brought that knowledge into developing this book into really, I mean, one of the most useful tools I've ever used for comedy and developing material and staying organized and holding myself accountable. It's really, it's really been a game changer for me. So if you're looking to spice it up and find a new level of productivity, in 2017, comicsplaybook.com. Turn up. And turn down for what? Eh, we'll turn down for the end of this episode, I guess. Or hot breath episode, if you will. Let's go ahead and land the plane, ladies and gentlemen. I gotta shout out my engineer, Amon Garner, of course. I know he's been working on a couple other Atlanta podcasts now. If you want to get his Midas touch on your audio work, Hit him up, Amon Garner, on Facebook. And of course, my wife, the theme song composer of Hot Breath, Erin Rogers. You can go ahead and give her a follow, at Erin A. Rogers. We've got some fun photos on her Instagram of our honeymoon and our wedding. So go on over, give her a follow. Show support of the whole Hot Brotherhood and Sisterhood and Hot Brother, Breath of Verse. Ah. Hmm. We got some good ones coming up. That's all I'm going to say. I'm excited. If you enjoyed this, we have over 80 other episodes for you to choose from. They all dope in their own way. Let me know what your favorite is. Hit me up. At Hot Breath Pod on social media. Hashtag Hot Breath Episode. That's, that's a little verbose. You can't type that in while driving. How about Hot Pick? Hot, I don't know. Maybe tweet me on social media at Hot Breath Pod what you think the hashtag should be. Maybe that's a more efficient way of doing this. Do you think there's a way for us to stay connected better for you to express what your favorite episode is or your favorite moment of an episode, what you enjoyed about this or any other episode? Hit me up on social media. What hashtag should we use, Hot Breath Averse? Let's collaborate. And cooperate. And now I'm late. So until next Monday, right here on Hot 
breath. Oh. <gasps>